You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. We begin with new developments in the case of Miles Gray and potential professional repercussions for the Vancouver police officers involved in the altercation that killed him more than seven years ago. Seven of those officers could now face discipline up to and including dismissal from the force. This comes after a review of the case conducted for the Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner. Sarah McDonald has our top story. The Vancouver police officers who remain the only witnesses to what was ultimately a fatal altercation with Miles Gray here in 2015 were never criminally charged. But now, more than seven years later, Global News has learned most of them could face severe repercussions professionally, including dismissal from the force. I do believe these people should be dismissed from their jobs. Absolutely, I sure do. Because up till now, in my opinion, it's just been a perversion of justice, right? They have been working for seven years. A long-awaited decision by the discipline authority appointed by the Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner has returned damning findings and recommendations involving the constables implicated in the violent altercation that ended Gray's life ultimately finding sufficient evidence that may substantiate allegations of abuse of authority and neglect of duty under the Police Act. Yeah. Constable Bo Spencer, seen here on patrol in 2018 and recognized on Twitter by Chief Adam Palmer that same year, is one of seven officers now headed for a disciplinary hearing and facing the prospect of having to hand over their badges under the recommended corrective and disciplinary measures. Alongside Constables Hardeep Sahota, Josh Wong, Corey Folkstad, Nick Thompson, Derek Kane, and Eric Bursnick, all now facing the disciplinary prospect up to and including dismissal from the Vancouver Police Department, and all, save for Bursnick, also facing discipline for neglect of duty. That's the least of what we would want to happen. You know, there should have been charges against these officers. Miles was there with no witnesses other than the cops. That, that shouldn't, should never be a thing. That should never happen again. Miles can't speak. The cops can do whatever they want, saying he's still a threat to the public. He was hobbled and handcuffed, and he's still a threat to the public. The officers implicated responded to what started as a nuisance call and ended in the brutal death of the 33-year-old wholesale plant distributor conducting deliveries from the Sunshine Coast. Gray, described as agitated and potentially in the throes of a mental health crisis, was dealt a litany of blunt force blows in a matter of minutes. The only witnesses, the officers themselves. They took Miles' life in the most heinous way. Nobody's ever apologized. Nobody's ever said his name. They've just all carried on and continued their life. Any consequences would fall under the Police Act. In 2020, the B.C. Prosecution Service considered but declined to lay criminal charges in the case, setting a lack of consistent and complete evidence provided in testimony from the officers, compounded by no conclusive cause of death. Diabolical dirtbaggery at its best. That's how I would describe it. There's so much that needs to be changed. The disciplinary hearing is now scheduled for April. The same month a coroner's inquest into Gray's death is also set to begin. Sarah McDonald, Global News.
The family of an Indigenous man who died in police custody nearly six years ago is speaking out, calling for systemic change. Five RCMP officers were charged last month in connection to Dale Culver's death in Prince George in 2017. Two of the officers are charged with manslaughter. All five were due to be in court tomorrow, but Culver's family says that date has now been pushed back. Family says it's disappointing how long it took to lay charges and what happened to Dale is an example of systemic racism. There's no reason that it, in my eyes, um, that it should take up to six years to identify why someone died or how it happened. When if you take certain components of that situation out, that person would have been just fine. Things need to change. The institutional racism that many Indigenous people experience is, is, is uh, shown in, in, in Dale Culver's case, that if you're arrested, there, that there is a risk of death. Regional Chief TG says the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples needs to be fully adopted. And he says institutions need to look closely at themselves and what they're doing about racism. Tension over crime in Nanaimo boiled over this weekend when a group of people went to the downtown tent city to recover stolen tools and other items. As Kylie Stanton reports, a Nanaimo mechanic is now in hospital in serious condition after being shot. They made their way across the street with weapons being pointed at them. On Sunday afternoon, in broad daylight, shots were fired here, leaving one person with serious injuries and a community at its breaking point. Shock, horror. Average citizens can't endure this level of siege. We need to feel that you and I are safe where we're standing right here from a flying bullet. And yesterday afternoon, we couldn't have done this here. It was shortly after 3.30 when police were called to the area of Mill Street and Barsby Avenue for reports of an altercation. We're just kind of taking a stand, taking our neighborhood back. Jeff Callahan says he was part of a group who had decided to go into the nearby homeless encampment to retrieve stolen property allegedly taken from Ernie's Black Point repair. The owner, identified by friends as Clint Smith, was shot in the stomach. He's now said to be in stable condition. Yeah, if it wasn't for him, we probably would have all, all got shot because they were definitely shooting at us. He just kind of blocked cover fire and told us to get across the road as fast as we could. Police are now investigating. A firearm has been seized, but they're still looking for a suspect. At the same time, warning the public to avoid taking matters into their own hands. We, we understand people are really frustrated. I've never seen these situations where they end well either for the people involved or the, the quote-unquote suspects. You've got to contact us. But even the mayor says policing can only do so much. It's a crisis. It's a crisis for those in the streets. It's a crisis for those who are being victimized, it, uh, victimized by it. And frankly, the government... And by that, I mean the provincial and the federal government, to a certain extent, need to accept this. Obviously, it's uh, very concerning when uh, something of this nature happens. Um, it's something the police take very seriously. And uh, uh, when I am in a position to give more information, um, then we will, be, uh, we will do so. And so once again, the community waits, wondering what it will take before their concerns are heard. Enough is enough. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Nanaimo.
BC's top law enforcement ministers say last week's meeting with the federal government over reforming the bail system was a success. The talks focused on preventing the almost automatic release of repeat offenders. But as Amadagahi reports, it's unclear exactly what kind of difference the meetings will make. Break-ins, random assaults, stolen property. Crimes well documented since the beginning of the pandemic, particularly within the city of Vancouver. Those arrested, oftentimes having a long list of previous offenses. This type of crime that's happening in our community, this government takes very seriously. Monday, BC's Attorney General and Public Safety Minister held a celebratory news conference to announce last week's trip to Ottawa. To hold emergency talks with their federal and provincial counterparts was a success in their eyes. I'm encouraged that during last week's visit to Ottawa, the federal government agreed to make amendments to the criminal code that would target repeat violent offenders. As a result of our advocacy, the federal government made a clear commitment, a commitment to do their part. But the details are still not clear. Exactly what will change in the criminal code to keep repeat offenders from being released back onto the streets days and sometimes hours after being arrested. What BC and other provinces had been after is the creation of what's called reverse onus bail. So instead of the state having to prove why you should be denied bail, you have to prove why you should be granted bail. It's likely that we're going to see changes to the criminal code to create reverse onus bail in situations of violent offenses, probably those involving specifically firearms. What seems less likely, legislative changes that would keep those routinely breaking into businesses and damaging property from being released just to commit again. I think that we will not see as many changes as what the provinces are asking for, particularly when it comes to people who are on bail for repeat property crime offenses. So while dangerous criminals who have access to guns, knives and bear spray could be held in jail longer, those committing the type of crimes that have plagued the business community may see little change. Imadagahi, Global News. We are learning more tonight about the extent of a sewage leak into the Capilano River. It was first noticed last week and samples were taken to determine the potential impact. Global's Julie Nolan is live now with more on the results. What exactly is in that water, Julie? Sophie, we now know this is indeed raw sewage that's been going into the Capilano River, something we could certainly smell but could not confirm until today. It's been a week since the leak was first discovered by a member of the public. The Environment Ministry has been doing tests and today verified there was contamination pouring into the river. The Squamish First Nation has been growing increasingly concerned as they are downriver from this leak. The ministry says it's now contained, but they are awaiting results of more testing. The challenge is, the, is finding the source. So we're still looking for the source, whether on the property or in the area. So that's ongoing. Further uh, dye testing is occurring uh, to identify that source. I'm comforted to know that the raw sewage leakage has now stopped and there's mitigation in regards. You can see the vacuum truck behind us where they're sucking up all the raw sewage and disposing of it appropriately. 
The Squamish First Nation says this river is used for ceremonial purposes and there is a spiritual and emotional impact of this contamination on their people. Plus, this is also a concern for the local fish hatchery, which recently released salmon fry into the river. The property manager of the nearby Woodcroft Estates says so far dye tests have not made a clear connection between its sanitary lines and the leak, but hopefully... More answers will be known in the coming days. Back to you. All right, thanks for that. Julie Nolan reporting for us. A Vancouver Island woman is asking Premier David Eby to rethink the new age-restricted strata rules. Her strata has recently voted to become a 55-plus building, and at 30 years old, she has big concerns about the switch. Richard Zussman has more. Through hard work and a bit of luck, Brianne Pascoe managed to secure enough money to buy a condo in Duncan. Now a curveball for the 30-year-old. Everything I feel like is just up in the air for me now. Um, I had purchased the unit in hopes of it being like a nice little stepping stone. The strata for her building in Duncan voting to move to 55 plus. Current legislation requires all strata buildings to allow rentals to anyone. But if the building is 55 plus, they can control the age of the renter, meaning Pasco would not be allowed to have a partner or roommate rent or even move in with her. There's plenty of them that are already designated 55 plus buildings. Um, so he's left this loophole open where you can change to one. And if he hadn't done that, it would have been fine. He is Premier David Eby. I am now a 30 year old stuck in a retirement building. Pasco wrote him a letter asking him to close that loophole and not allow buildings to make a change to 55 plus just to avoid allowing properties to be rented out. We want people to start families. We want them to build their families in British Columbia. This legislation is about making housing available for people to do that. Uh, so we're currently doing the policy work. We will be introducing amendments to address uh, this issue of uh, people who live in buildings that then convert to 55 plus. It's unclear what those amendments will look like, considering there have also been issues raised where an owner had a new baby and were told they have to sell. A building being 55 plus uh, in itself is not objectionable. What is objectionable is empty units uh, in that building. It's unclear exactly what a 55 plus change would do to the value of a property, but one realtor says whenever you limit who can buy a property, it forces the value down. The demand is affected by this, so half of the people that could see it before now can't see it. So you would have probably 33% less people that could come through that house that could now buy it. Meaning not only could Pasco be out of a home to grow a family, but out a lot of money as well. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, the fallout continues for Flair Airlines passengers. We feel like we've been lied to right from the very start. Stranded passengers stuck on hold and scrambling to get home. That's next on the News Hour. An early morning fire rips through the courthouse in Golden. The potential impact on the community and why investigators believe it's suspicious. That's later. Also, we now know what killed eight skunks found in Richmond last month. That's also coming up tonight on the News Hour. Right now, though, Flair Airlines is doing damage control after a weekend of turbulence for its business. A number of BC passengers had their flights canceled on Friday. And the very next morning, four of the airline's aircraft were abruptly repossessed. As Grace Key reports, passengers are left wondering if they'll be reimbursed for out-of-pocket expenses. It will go round and around and around. 
And every time you phone, you get somebody different who tells you a different story. After a week in Tucson, Dana Gray discovered at the airport her Friday flight to Prince George was canceled. After hours on the phone, passengers were told they would get hotel and food vouchers. But when we got to the hotel, it, we were only booked in for one night. And so we had to um, go through the whole process every day of booking a new, and it was a different hotel every day. A Flair spokesperson says the flight was canceled because a flight attendant was sick. This comes after a troubled weekend. On Saturday, 1,900 passengers had flights canceled after four leased planes were seized because of an overdue payment. Flair's CEO says the move was unexpected. We've come in and upset the cozy duopoly, and as a consequence, people want us out of business. And we do believe that there were negotiations going on behind the scenes between one of the majors and the lessor um, to, you know, hurt flair and uh, by by them offering probably above market rates um, for the for the aircraft we've been leasing them. Jones didn't provide any proof to back up his claim. The future of low-cost carriers in Canada has never been easy. WestJet has just acquired Sunwing after a tumultuous holiday season. Industry experts say some of those bargain prices just aren't sustainable. The pricing they were charging was very aggressive in the marketplace. Was that pricing too low? Uh, to cover off the cost of leasing these airplanes? The answer probably today is yes. Frustrated, Dana has given up on hotel and food vouchers. She's staying with friends and booked a hotel on her own the day before she flies out. We just booked it ourselves. And hopefully, because Flair told us to save our receipts, we're going to get some compensation, but we're not holding our breath. Dana hopes to be on the Friday flight back to Prince George. Grace Key, Global News. Well, Flair does not expect to get its seized aircraft back, and the airline's summer expansion plans may have to be adjusted as a result. This summer, Flair was planning to fly to all 10 provinces with service to some cities in the United States and to holiday resorts in Mexico. Up next, falling in love with a fake profile. Hey, Crystal, it's Chris. Why romance scammers love AI and how to avoid heartbreak. Also ahead, tax time, what you need to know before filing your return. Next. Traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge tonight with just a bit of volume eastbound on the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve. Through a charitable partnership between Kermat Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermat Collision and Auto Glass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Ewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. It's tax season again, and there are a few changes to watch for before filing your return, including two major homeowner benefits, which have doubled for the 2022 tax year. Consumer Matters reporter Andrewa is here with more. And thanks, Sophie. The most significant tax changes are the increased credits for homeowners and home buyers. New legislation has doubled the tax credit for those who bought a first home in 2022. Eligible first-time home buyers can now claim a non-refundable tax credit of $10,000, up from $5,000 for up to $1,500 in tax savings. The federal budget has also doubled the home accessibility tax credit. Seniors and homeowners with disabilities can now claim up to $20,000 per year, up from $10,000 in eligible expenses for renovations for a maximum annual tax credit of $3,000. The 
underused housing tax, or UHT, is an annual 1% tax on the value of vacant or underused homes and usually applies to non-resident, non-Canadian owners. Non-Canadian corporations and individuals who are not Canadian citizens or permanent residents who own homes must file a return even if they are exempt from the tax, which applies to residential properties not being rented out. Now, if your taxes involve anything outside of the average return with employer tax slips, investments and RSPs, experts suggest talking to an accountant. Just to make sure you don't miss out on a tax write-off or have done something that you need to file for and yes. aren't aware of. A lot of times, unless you're talking to a professional, you don't realize that you could get caught up in some taxes and all of a sudden have issues. When you look at these kinds of changes, they're all meant to not hurt the average Canadian. They're meant to bring more money into the coffers and stimulate the economy. And just a reminder, the April 30th tax deadline falls on a Sunday this year, which means you have until Monday, May 1st to file your 2022 return. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Got to get on those taxes. Thank you, Anne. A new twist on a costly scam is helping fraudsters target more victims. Romance scams are evolving thanks to technology. Global's Tomasia da Silva has more on how scammers are stepping up their game. Through friends or blind dates. I don't really do the online stuff. It is for desperate people. I'm old-fashioned. It appears old is new again, at least with some, choosing in-person courting over computer chatting. Never online. No, no, no. I'm, I'm way too old for that. Catfishing and whatnot, you got to keep your eye out for that. Still, despite the risks, online dating remains popular and very easy, especially with evolving technology like artificial intelligence, a romance scammer's dream. So you start here. Matchmaker Crystal Walter first tells the program what she's looking for in a date. You pick what type of male you want, ethnicity, eye color, hair color. The AI program then does the rest. Hey, Crystal, it's Chris. Bringing the perfect partner to life, sort of. And these are all computer generated, so none of these are real people. Walter says they're real enough to fool many, and the numbers prove it. Romance scams were the second most costly scams in Canada last year with more than 1,400 cases reported to the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre. More than 1,000 actual victims for a loss of $59 million. How did it get so far? Walter says as a professional matchmaker, she vets everyone, Googles them, checks their ID and speaks with them, something she advises everyone online dating do. Meet them off the app, like, as fast as you can. He's already gotten 33 likes. As for our perfect partner, Chris, he's in high demand. But he's not fooling everyone. I have husband. <laughs> Love you, Michael. Tomasio da Silva, Global News. Coming up, fire sweeps through the courthouse in Golden. The whole roof has collapsed, and as, as you can see on the two, uh, the two front corners there, the, the bricks are about to come down why arson is suspected and how that building is key for the community. And later, sleeping in and showering less. The pandemic habits we've developed and how many of them have stuck.
One third of Canadian children are at risk of going to school every day on an empty stomach, and being hungry makes it harder for them to learn. That's why Global News is partnering with Toonies for Tummies to provide nutritious meals to children in need in your community. Please donate today. Another great route this evening is the Massey Tunnel. Highway 99 is moving well to and from Delta and Richmond. BCAA member, lucky you, BCAA members save three cents per liter of fuel at Shell. Conditions apply. Visit shell.ca slash BCAA. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Eight skunks found dead last month have now tested positive for avian influenza. The animals were found in Richmond and Vancouver, and due to concerns they might have been poisoned, their carcasses were taken to the BC Animal Health Centre for testing. All of the animals had the same strain of H5N1 bird flu that's been killing poultry and wild animals for nearly a year. The skunks are believed to have contracted the disease by scavenging infected wild birds. If you come across dead wildlife, leave it alone and contact the BC Wildlife Health Program. A dead body has been discovered inside a tent on Hastings Street after fire broke out in the encampment. Firefighters responded to a tent fire near Hastings in Maine at around 5 p.m., 5.30 p.m. on Sunday. After putting it out, they found the body of a woman inside. Vancouver police were called in to investigate and are still working to determine the cause of death, but evidence indicates the woman was already dead before the fire started. And fire has destroyed the courthouse in Golden, and it appears it may have been deliberately set. Investigators are only beginning the process of determining the fire's cause, but as Catherine Urquhart reports, early signs point to arson. Smoldering remains are all that's left of the provincial courthouse in Golden, B.C. Despite massive efforts by firefighters, flames quickly engulfed the building, leaving it heavily damaged. The whole roof has collapsed and as you can see on the two, uh, the two front corners there, the, the bricks are about to come down, so we'll have that all cordoned off fairly soon. The RCMP say early indications point to arson. So far, no suspects have been identified and they're seeking dash cam and surveillance video. We will uh, be canvassing the area. Uh, obviously, video surveillance is a key part of those types of uh, this type of investigation and uh, reaching out to uh, people who may be residing in the area if they heard anything or saw anything suspicious. The Ministry for the Attorney General says, well, there are no hearings scheduled to take place this week. Ministry staff are working with the courts to find alternate sites for future hearings scheduled at this location. I was notified about that fire this morning. Obviously, it's disturbing. Losing the courthouse building will also impact Service BC, which was located there along with other resources. On the back side of the building is also where Ministry of Transportation and Infrastructure and the conservation officers are located. One firefighter was injured after falling off the courthouse roof but is expected to recover. The investigation into this suspicious fire is in its early stages as experts try to determine how the fire started and who may be responsible. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Well, for years, University of Alberta researchers have been getting seniors moving with special virtual reality games. Now they're hoping to entice even more players.
Slice Saber is one of a number of games on the U of A's virtual gym designed to provide older adults with very of various abilities with a fun way to exercise. Now the creators have teamed up with researchers in Japan to improve the gaming experience by engaging more of the players senses. Maybe you can hear the effects of the watermelon cracking under the pressure and maybe you can see the watermelon kind of splashing. So you have visual, audio, and haptic effects, and in different combinations can make this moment so much more gratifying and therefore increase your engagement with the game. Once those changes are made, the team will study whether they can get more people to play for longer periods of time, building their balance and flexibility. Coming up, movie making, hitting new milestones in the Okanagan. We are number two in the growth of the industry in British Columbia. What's driving the significant increase in filming in the region? Plus, the Canadian Oscar winners and the movie that swept the night. Well, you probably already know this, but the Okanagan offers breathtaking landscapes and stunning views, and it seems filmmakers are taking notice. According to the Okanagan Film Commission, the film industry spent a record amount on productions in the region last year, and as Jaden Wozni reports, that trend is expected to continue. The shot is here, camera's in the corner, so everyone must run and hide. 2022 was a big year for filmmaking in the Okanagan. Close to $70 million was spent shooting 46 films, a substantial increase from 2021 when the industry brought in $44 million. So you can come here and you can shoot lots of movies, you can do it for cheap, it's beautiful, the lighting is amazing. We have all the infrastructure now, everything you'd need to make movies, multiple movies as a matter of fact at a time. John Summerland with the Okanagan Film Commission says the Okanagan has become one of BC's hotspots when it comes to the silver screen. We are definitely the place to come make your movies now. So in British Columbia, we are the growing the fastest. So that says something. It means that we can do it. And yes, I would say that we are number two in the growth of the industry in British Columbia. Rick Dugdale is a film producer originally from Enderby, but he's since gone Hollywood. His most recent work is a movie called Zero Contact. The entire film was shot virtually in 17 different countries during the COVID-19 pandemic, a first of its kind for the film industry. We came up with the idea of the film at the beginning of the pandemic, trying to figure out how do you shoot a film in one place, ultimately, if you have to do it all remotely. So uh, we came up with the idea, and, and of course it worked. That spawned part two and part three, which we're currently in pre-production on right now. During the pandemic, Dugdale went back to his Okanagan roots, opening up a studio in Kelowna. As a smaller studio, a smaller facility, mostly focusing on post-production and visual effects. But really, it kind of become our, our headquarters where we were looking to maybe expand and, and see what we can do there to really help grow the infrastructure and, uh, you know, increase the volume of our own productions back in the Okanagan. Summerland said that despite the Okanagan's steady rise in the film world, the Fraser Valley continues to be the province's number one destination for on-screen productions. Jaden Wozni, Global News, Kelowna. All right, uh, <laughs> let's bring in meteorologist Yvonne Schell in for Christy tonight with a look at what I 
think is a decent forecast for spring break. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I remember, vaguely remember some sunshine. Yes, I know. So um, today was not bad. We had a few breaks in there. We're still hanging on to a bit more cloud cover as we get in towards this evening with a chance of showers. But it's the long range forecast for spring break that I'll have in just a moment. We're currently sitting at nine dry conditions out of the airport, a southwesterly wind at 17 kilometers per hour. There is still a bit of instability. We've got a few showers that have popped up just along the west end, along the north shore mountains. We'll see it across the island. Similar right now for the Sunshine Coast and inland and for the northern tip of Vancouver Island overnight and for tomorrow morning. We could still see a few wet flurries before it changes over to a chance for some showers. Big weather story, however, if you're traveling along the mountain passes, we still have a significant amount of snow. We are tracking that right along the Kootenai Pass and the Rogers Pass. I'll have that in just a moment, but I did want to outline what we're anticipating overnight and for tomorrow morning. It'll be cloud cover with a chance of showers and that instability does still stick around. These are the areas of concern if you're traveling along the mountain passes, Kootenai as well as the Rogers Pass. Snowfall running remains in effect from now until tomorrow morning. 15 and up to 25 centimeters is possible along those routes, so you'll want to check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions. Putting the future cast into play, so there's that instability. A few showers still in the mix through the day tomorrow. We'll anticipate a few breaks in there. And then once we get past tomorrow, our spring break forecast, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, sunny skies and temperatures are going to bump up. We'll be back into the double digits for most areas along the south coast. Areas along the northern half could still see a few wet flurries in the mix. Inland across the central interior dry with a mix of sun and cloud. It's higher elevations. The mountain passes will still see that snowfall heavy at times for the morning hours. Breaks for the afternoon. Tops in Okanagan. Highs even closer to 7 and 9 degrees. I put in a bit of instability for the northern regions of the island and inland with a few wet flurries changing over to a chance for some showers. Lower mainland, it'll be on and off showers. A few breaks in there. And then as we get past tomorrow, we're back into some sunshine shine temperatures into the double digits but still chilly with our overnight lows between zero and two tonight's weather window a great shot spring has sprung was the title of this email and sent in from janine uh, from port alberni so better days ahead yes That's looks lovely. like it all right thanks very much yvonne brendan fraser and sarah Polly were among the canadians to earn academy awards at the oscars last night i'm grateful to darren aronofsky for throwing me a creative lifeline and hauling me aboard the good ship, The Whale. Fraser was emotional as he accepted the Oscar for Best Actor for his role in The Whale. Polly took home the Best Adapted Screenplay Award for her fil film, Women Talking. And the big winner of the night was Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, which saw its crew win awards for Best Director, Best Actress, Best Actor in a Supporting Role, Best Actress in a Supporting Role. The film's leading actress, Michelle Yeoh, became the first Asian woman and only the second woman of color ever to win the Best Actress Award. All right. Have you seen it, Squire? No, I haven't. This is, I think, the first year I hadn't seen any of the nominations for Best Picture. I shockingly have seen one of them, and it was everything, everywhere. Oh, there you go. So you saw the right one, apparently. I apparently did. All right. I need to rewatch it, though. There was a lot that happened. Okay. I'll uh, check what, it out. What do you have? Well, every player, of course, is happy to be in the NHL because it's the realization of a dream, but none are as obviously happy as Andre Kuzmenko. I just uh, want uh, help to him. Doesn't matter how back check, for check, <laughs> scores, assist. He leads the Vancouver Canucks in goals right now, and he also leads the entire NHL in smiles per game. Also tonight definitely seen a shift over the past few years. 
Well, we hope the pandemic is in the rearview mirror. What a new study indicates about the habits we developed during it. Nice to see more smiles on the Canucks. Well, Happiness. considering the way things have gone, but Andre yeah. Kuzmenko was always—if you just looked at his face—you'd think Vancouver hadn't lost a game <laughs> this year. He's always happy, which is good. Uh, there was an old James Bond movie, way back in the '60s, called *From Russia with Love*, and that would be a good title of anything dealing with Canucks winger Andre Kuzmenko. When he was first at training camp last September, when Bruce Boudreau was still the coach, Boudreau said his positive attitude along with his talent and work ethic, will get him to assimilate much faster in the NHL. And Boudreaux was right. Now, nobody drafted him in the NHL. He spent eight years getting better in the Russian League, the KHL, and he was more than happy to finally get a chance at the NHL in Vancouver. And that happiness has never waned. Kicked ahead. Here's a chance for Kuzmenko. I love hockey, just simple. I like it, this hockey. <laughs> I like it. It's simple answer. The smile is contagious and so is the laughter. Both displayed with as much frequency as the goals Andre Kuzmenko is scoring for the Vancouver Canucks this season. Kuzmenko sitting on 32 goals and counting. That's two fewer than Pavel Bure's all-time Canucks rookie record. And as we've all seen, Kuzmenko loves scoring goals. His energy seems to be contagious. Is there anybody who has more fun <laughs> being on the bench, being on the ace, or scoring goals? What yeah, he, he, he definitely keeps it light. I mean, it's, uh, you know, he's one of the funny ones, and um, it's just funny talking to him, and he, he, he's great to play with. I mean, uh, he, he wants to talk, he wants to improve, he wants to get better in um, every shift, and uh, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun playing with him. It's hard to explain because he has that smile on his face. Even when you give him crap, he smiles. Like, I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I, I love the guy for it. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't mope around. Uh, he, he doesn't. He doesn't pout. Like, like, I'm one of those guys, even when I, I, I hate guys that pout and guys don't talk to you and, and they get upset. He, he did, he's like, hey, coach the next day. Like, I love the guy for, for that. Um, and it's infectious to the team. Not that you need any proof, but here it is. Andre Kuzmenko hasn't stopped smiling or stopped loving the game from the very first moment that he was on skates and holding a stick with a puck on it. This is first photo in my uh, hockey career. And uh, I'm from Yakutsk as uh, first skates. And maybe as uh, father says me, I start skates is one year, eight months. Yes, because as my father is hockey coach. Yes, it's very interesting, guess. <laughs> it's so early. We're truly talking about a player with an insatiable hockey appetite. Speaking of which, food and snacks in particular is something that's also near and dear to Kuzmenko's heart. It's become a currency of sort for Canuck fans wanting a Kuzmenko souvenir like a game stick. I want maybe chocolate, yes. I like chocolate, yes. Maybe Kit Kat, Twix, yes, I like it. It's next change, sticks. It's maybe Twix, Kit Kat. Sticks for a Twix, that's the deal. Uh, Ethan Bear was back at practice today after taking a puck right in the mouth during that game against Boston on February 25th. He's pretty much ready to play again, albeit he's going to need some extra protection around his mouth for the next few weeks.
slight fracture in the upper lip. Um, that's the reason why I'd wear a face shield. Obviously lost a tooth. Might lose a couple more. Um, yeah, it was that was not wasn't pretty. So um, definitely the first time I've had to go through that, and you know, I wouldn't wish it upon anyone. Well, it's not too often that people get excited over the signing of a seventh-round draft choice, but the Canucks are getting Aiden McDonough to sign, or got Aiden McDonough, I should say, to sign a two-year deal, and that has impressed Canucks Nation. He spent the last four years at Northeastern University in Boston, became their leader offensively and their leader, period, because he became the team captain. He'll likely get in some games with Vancouver this season, but always be cautious. It's a big jump from the NCAA to the NHL. He's a left winger with good size, 6'3", not afraid to shoot, has a lethal shot at least at the college level. He's improved his game since Vancouver drafted him in 2019, which is good. There are questions about whether his skating is at an NHL level, but he has been working the last few years with a skating coach, and staying for his senior year in college seemed to help him as well. I learned so much this year. Um, you know, I think I developed my game uh, even more. Uh, obviously, I was the captain this year, and I think the you know the life lessons and the maturity that I've learned being a captain and um, being able to players and um, you know working with the coaching staff and there's just so many things that I think um, have I've learned this year um, that will prepare me you know for the future. Well, it looks like Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be the new quarterback of the Las Vegas Raiders. He is going to sign a three-year deal worth $67.5 million, which will reunite him with head coach Josh McDaniels, who was an assistant coach when both he and Jimmy Garoppolo were with the New England Patriots. Garoppolo is a solid choice. He really doesn't get as much respect for his skills as a quarterback as he should, but he does get hurt a lot, which has hampered his career. But now he's a Raider. We'll see how he does. See if he has any luck in Las Vegas, as they say. There you go. All right. Thanks, Squire. Up next, pandemic habits are hard to break. How much we've changed in the last three years. Jordan Armstrong here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, last week we showed you how some police and even ICBC don't fully understand the province's distracted driving law. Tonight we're going to take a closer look at the law itself. Is it outdated? Does it fail to capture some new age forms of distraction? And is too much emphasis put on handing out tickets to people stopped at red lights? We'll hear from a lawyer and a retired police officer at 11. Plus, seven superintendents in seven years and now more sudden resignations. The B.C. School District in turmoil. These stories and more on Global News at 11. Sophie? All right, thanks, Jordan. Well, the COVID-19 pandemic changed our lives in many ways, and there, some, there are some new habits that appear to have stuck. A new BC Hydro report shows working from home continues to be a trend three years later, and it has shifted the way we use electricity. Travis Prasad reports. It's been three years since the COVID-19 outbreak was declared a pandemic. The virus quickly upended everyday life. This will be the new normal until a vaccine is developed. COVID treatments have since arrived, but in some respects, the new normal hasn't gone anywhere. We obviously track um, how and when people use electricity. We've definitely seen a shift over the past few years. 
An online survey of 800 British Columbians conducted for BC Hydro found the changes to daily routines made three years ago have stuck around long after the lifting of restrictions. For one, the energy utility says peak electricity use in the morning happens later than it did pre-pandemic, attributing the shift to people sleeping in as remote work eliminates their commute to the office. We're also seeing people use more electricity during the day, and I think that this can be attributed to more people working from home and taking advantage of that and perhaps doing some of those more energy-intensive chores like uh, washing clothes during the day. Not only are some of the habits from the early days of COVID-19 still around, they also appear to be growing in popularity. In 2020, 12% of British Columbians said they were sleeping in on weekdays. That number has jumped to 26%. Cooking dinner at home also on the rise, up 7 points to 33%. And many more British Columbians are relying on streaming services. 56% now say they watch more TV and movies, nearly doubling since 2020. And even things like showering less, I mean, it's only moved about 1%, but we're actually seeing more people do that as well. Bathed or not, those working from home are undoubtedly saving time and money. BC Hydro is asking them to save energy too. Think about using uh, the energy-saving mode on that office equipment. It can save you about 70%. Practical advice as the so-called new normal becomes the norm. Travis Prasad, Global News. Oh... How life has changed. But and it all started, remember when the NBA walked off the court that I night? Do that remember. was sort of like, if they're going to walk off the court, then something's up. And I think it was that same night, things kept changing throughout the news hour. Mm -hmm. Like Things kept being canceled throughout the, like, minute by minute. Yeah, well, that was what we were all doing for the longest time, just announcing things that are canceled. And, yeah. and now, we're in three separate boxes. One yeah. day, <laughs> one day, we'll all be on the desk again together. <laughs> I don't know when, though. <laughs> Have a good night, all.